So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Our Authentic Careers. It's good to be back after a nice long 4th of July break. Today, I present you the fifth edition of the Career Tracks segment, which again, as a reminder, is a set of mini episodes meant to showcase some of the ideas and learnings I'm picking up along the way from all the great conversations I've been having with my amazingly open-hearted guests. And today again, on this fifth edition, I am jumping back into some of the nuggets that my fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth guests uncovered for us and will be playing some of their words back to you in the hopes that in some way you might hear them slightly differently than before and find them even more useful. And I'm going to focus your attention on one very important idea during this episode and that is those things that you do in your life no matter what, when no one is looking, when there's no money on the line. And the reason I'm going to focus in on that is because it is a piece of advice you're likely to hear from career counselors everywhere. And so I want you to hear what it actually sounds like. First up is Jesse Hirsch. At one point in his career, he did something that on the surface might seem quite ordinary. I found a typo in a food magazine when I was living in Queens about six years ago. And I really liked this food magazine, um, but I was not what you'd say was a foodie. I did not, uh, you know, have a target list of hot restaurants in Manhattan that I needed to visit. I just liked this one particular local food magazine in Queens. Uh, and so I emailed the publisher and they said, I found this typo. Um, by the way, if you guys ever need any pro bono uh, copy editing work, I know how to do that. Uh, it, tur- it turns out that she, she had just started this magazine. She was very overwhelmed. Uh, she did need some help. I did it for free for two months and then she was able to actually, you know, come up with some money to pay me. Um, and it still was kind of a sideline. Uh, I kept my day job at, at the law firm for, for years while I was doing this just on the side. And what started as kind of like an exciting hobby. My friends thought it was neat, you know, that they could every now and again go and eat chicken wings with me and we would write about it. Right. Um, it just expanded a little bit. In this case, Jesse just typed up a quick email. But that was not unlike the time he launched his own blog so that he could write more freely on his own at night to complement the more staid reporting he was doing during the day. I think my outlet when I was in Wisconsin was um, two things. I started a blog, yeah. which is what everyone does. Um, and that way I was able to like be funny and you know like be sassy and, and actually just observe the things in the way that I wanted to observe them and that was actually I mean if I think back I've forgotten about this but yeah just mention, just mentioning it to you now like the way that writing that blog felt was a distant cousin of what I feel now right because I had I had I got a decent number of readers and so people were commenting it and, and commenting on these stories and enjoying the stories and I, I was like working on the craft that was actually much more important to me than the real day job that I had yeah was, was writing that silly blog and that 
was not unlike the time he decided to shift from his clerical position at a law firm and applied to write for the firm's daily internal publication, even though it was way far afield from the type of writing he cared about. The first job that I got in the law firm was very clerical. It was just like record keeping stuff um, and totally unfulfilling, but not miserable, just something you just did and then you left. Um, yep. But then I applied for a job within the same law firm. Uh, the wife of the CEO decided that they wanted to put out a daily newspaper just for the people who worked at this law firm, which is like 3,500 people. Uh, and it would just, like this daily quote unquote newspaper was just like the, the news of the firm, right? So we would write feature stories that were like a Silicon Valley, one of our Silicon Valley lawyers is a rocker on the weekends and he plays, you know, he plays with a garage band or, you know, another one of the offices had a pet picnic or things like this. Uh, so it was goofy. It was dumb. Um, but at least I was writing. Love that. It was goofy. It was dumb. But at least I was writing. And that is exactly the point. Similarly, Jim Lynn digs deep into the Wayback Machine and shows us how he was marketing long before he ever got paid to do it. Uh, I think in elementary school, <clears throat> and the one activity that really solidified that was whenever there was a, a school event um, or something taking place that needed to be promoted, uh, I would be the one to start drawing the posters, kind of getting getting the chatter going about it and getting people excited about it. That was the thing I always loved to do in high school. I volunteered to do t-shirts for all the events. I volunteered to do um, marketing posters for all my events. Um, I used to be on the uh, the cycling team in high school. And uh, I think everyone's favorite thing was the posters advertising the races. Uh -huh. I would draw cartoons of mass mayhem on bicycles. And um, people love that. And I got a kick out of people loving it. And then there was Ricky Morris, who it appears was doing so much of this thing that when asked what was that one piece of advice that her friends, family, and colleagues consistently sought from her, here's the way she responded. <laughs> it sucks because it's always fashion. Okay. <laughs> it's always fashion. Um, Why does that suck? Because it's not something that I wanted to be trapped into, but it's always something that people come up to me about. Um, I actually love shopping at this one boutique and she asked me to speak um, and to her cl her clients about dressing the curvy woman. So I did that and it's on YouTube too, um, uh -huh. basically where I'm telling women, women how to dress their, their bodies the way that they are, you know, instead of like trying to prepare for the summer and losing all this weight, just like be happy with what you have because there are clothes made for your figure. Right. And so I was teaching that. And then, um, like I said, I did closet therapy. A friend called me, was like, could you help me? Like, I don't really have money to go shopping. And then I then told her, well, I can come to your house and show you how to mix some things up. So I did that. And she was like, you should make an app for this. And because she would send me pictures and say, what do you think about this? And then I would kind of tell her what she can add to her outfits. And so that, that was a thought, but it's always fashion and always go shopping with me. And though as annoyed as she may be, it's probably not at all surprising an outcome when you consider this. Fashion and getting dressed is so natural to me. It's so like, I just do it kind of thing that 
I don't think I really have the talent that they're really seeking. They're seeking even me though to, they're seeking it. Yes, they're they're seeking me to tell them how to do something where I don't even know how I really do it. It's just that I and, and I basically tell them. All I do is have fun. If I put on something and it makes me happy, then that's what I'm gonna wear. Like, I don't care if it doesn't seem like, a lot of people are stuck in the matchy matchy or does this, is it good to wear this label or, or all of that crap? Like, I wasn't taught that. My mom, I grew up watching her like literally put on music and play in her clothes and makeup outfits. Yeah. So that's what I do. I literally play in my clothes and I stumble upon something that I like and that's my outfit. And you've been doing this your entire life? My entire life. Fascinating. Um, so to you, it seems almost so basic as to like, this can't possibly be meaningful. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. It's like, this is so easy to do for me that like, I feel like a fraud because it's so easy. And lastly, there was Tom Barrett, who was all too aware that he was the storyteller at heart, so much so that he was able to avoid a career trap that plagues all too many of us, the call by our loved ones for practicality. I remember a conversation with my high school guidance counselor and my parents were in the room. And my dad, being an engineer, was very practical. And I said, I wanted to write. And both the guidance counselor and my dad said, well, you have to be more practical than that. You have to take right. something that will get you a job. Right. And it wasn't that he was against the idea. He was just a very practical person. Yeah. I think from, from the emotional perspective, my mom would certainly read the things I wrote and were, was very supportive of those things. But I don't think they lived in a world where they understood where writing exactly could be a career. It yeah. was somewhat new to them. Um, the science and, science and engineering, one of my brothers is a, is a microbiologist and another one is an accountant. Those were yep. very tangible things. So it's over the course of my career as they've looked at the the interest in writing, the passion for writing, the passion for storytelling, and how it starts to play out in different things they can see in the news. Yeah. And things like writing a book about the, the world of food on Long Island where I live, that's where it started to become much more tangible as to how these things all work together into a career. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating, and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.